So in the summer of 1961, 38 players on the Green Bay Packers showed up for their first day of training camp. Now this training camp was coming off kind of the heartbreaking end of their, their last season where they blew the fourth quarter lead and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. NFL championship because the Super Bowl hadn't even started yet. They had all off season to think about their terrible loss, to, to imagine and, and remember all the things that they did wrong as individuals, to remember all the things they did wrong as a team. And they were so close to reaching the pinnacle and fell just short. So when they showed up for training camp, their, their minds were set on, like, how, how are we going to take this next step, right? How are we going to go from number two to number one? Because we, we don't want to lose that lead next time. So, so it really had to have surprised them when they showed up and their coach, this, this guy here, if you recognize him, Vince Lombardi, said, no, fellas, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to try things and we're going to do things just a touch different. We're going we're gonna to try something else. And he began to take them all the way down to the basics. And he stood up in front of the team and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And from there, he began to explain the very basics of the game to, to a group of men who had dedicated their entire lives to a single sport. Uh, to a group of men who, up to that point, had given everything they have to play this, this one game. To a group of men who were professional football players. Men who, just a few months prior, fell just short of being the best team in the world. Vince Lombardi took football and he boiled it down. This very complex game of football boiled it down to the foundation. And he began to teach them how to block and, and how to tackle again. And he had to open up the playbook and turn to page one. And he began to take them through play by play by play. And, fellas, this is how we play the game of football. He became obsessed with the basics, with the, with the fundamentals. And six months later, those same Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 and won the NFL championship that year. And, and from that season on, Vince Lombardi went on to never lose a game in the playoffs, all starting from this is a football. Now, you may not have picked up on the similarities, but Vince Lombardi was not the first one to come up with this idea. In fact, he stole it from somebody. You see, what he had seen somebody else take, a very complex idea and boil it down to the foundation, he thought I'd give that a shot as well. Uh, he wasn't the first one to realize that if we are ever going to reach our ultimate purpose, if we're ever going to achieve our ultimate goal, that we must first go back to the foundations. And we read about it right here. It says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And I actually love this. It's one of my favorite things to think about. I, I often think about the Sadducees, a, a group of religious leaders, and, and then a separate group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. I like to think of them like two gangs, right? And so they, they're constantly going at each other, kind of fighting and seeing who's the best. And and they're this rival group. And the Sadducees had just gotten their butts kicked by Jesus, right? Like Jesus had just kind of schooled them. And the Pharisees are standing over there like, oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> All right, let's get him. All right, so guys, let's get our smartest guy. Let's get our smartest Pharisee and send them over. Let's get the lawyer. Let's send, don't judge us, pray all they have. Let's send the lawyer over and he could do it. Because this guy, obviously, not only is he an expert in the law, but he's educated and he's a lawyer. And, he's, and he asked this question. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question just to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? At which point the rest of the Pharisees must have slapped their forehead and go, oh, you idiots. 
I knew we should have sent the doctor. Why are you so dumb? And he, and he asked this question. He said to him, well, the answer is obvious. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the reason this was such a dumb question is because as a Jew, let alone a, a Jewish rabbi, Jesus would have prayed a prayer every day of his life called the Shema. In fact, it, it, it started way back to the ancient Israelites, and it, it continues today. Jewish people pray this prayer every single day. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So, of course, he knew what the greatest commandment was. But Jesus, being nice, he's a nice guy. He's kind of throwing this Pharisee a bone. Doesn't want him to get made fun of too much. He says, hey, I know you were, you were trying to be provocative. Like you you're trying to start a little something, so I'll, I'll give you something to work with. And he goes on, well, we know the greatest commandment and the first commandment, but the second, the second is like it. And I, I think if you really dig in, it's not just like it. It, it is as important as it's, it's one and one. It's not one A, one B. It's one and one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments, the first half of this book, uh, on these two commandments, the, the 600 plus laws and commands that you professional God followers seem to know inside and out, Jesus essentially says, hey, gentlemen, this is a football. See, you think you know all there is to know about following God. You think you know all there is to know about how to live your life for him. Uh, but Jesus takes it and he breaks it all the way down to the essentials. And he says, love God and love your neighbor. So that's why we're doing this series. It's the whole basis for this series. You see, Jimmy laid the groundwork a few weeks ago, uh, reminding us to pray and ask God that he would break our hearts for those that don't know Jesus, for our neighbors. Uh, and then Jimmy discussed the barriers in our lives that we all have of time and fear, the things that keep us from actually stepping out and learning to love and get to know our neighbors. And last week, Pastor Andy, he challenged us to stop living this bubble-wrapped Christian life where we, where we protect ourselves from all the bad stuff in the world and, and we fill our lives with all these Christian things and Christian people and apparently Christian food, as he said last week. He talked about making room in our lives and in our hearts for people who don't know Jesus, all in hopes that they might one day come to know him and to follow him. I want to be really clear about something. When it comes to this Art of Neighboring series, something that I want to make sure you guys understand, this is not an evangelism strategy. And if evangelism, really the word meaning just trying to win people to your side, trying to win them over for Jesus is your only motive, and I promise you you're not... You're not going to be a very good neighbor. I know for a lot of my life, I just wasn't a great neighbor. I ran across this sticker on social media this past week, and man, did I feel this one. You read that? I'm sorry for what I said as an evangelical teenager. So, man, I don't, I don't know who can relate. I have no idea. But if you grew up in the church, if you grew up with faith of any kind, man, I... I know back when I was growing up, like we were kind of raised a little bit different than we talk about today. And I'm sure you have moments, you have memories in your life where you can go back and remember, oh, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> that. That was not very loving or caring to people who 
I thought were my friends, and they certainly thought I was their friend. Now, to be fair, like for me, and I would assume the same for you, like most of it was out of really good intentions, really righteous, hopeful thoughts for them. The heart was right. I wanted to see them change. I wanted to see them know Jesus. But I think for a lot of my teenage years, it was so I could have another notch in my belt, not because I really loved them or cared for them as a neighbor or a friend. I know that for a lot of us, we do the same with righteous and good intentions, but Jesus never called us. As followers of him, he's never called us for this bait-and-switch approach in our lives. Where we come and we become friends with people and we get to know people and we engage with them and we try and live life with them all for the sole purpose of sharing spiritual truths with them. Like, that was never what we've been asked to do. In fact, from Jesus, we, we were called to love people, period. The, the great commandment says this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Full stop. The end. No other explanation given. No, no other demands given. No other goal stated. No other motive mentioned. In the book, uh, To Transform a City, the, the authors of this book, they, they use a phrase to describe common motives in building relationships that I think is super helpful for us. They, they use the phrase ulterior versus ultimate. Ulterior versus ultimate. The funny thing about me and my education level is when I saw or heard the phrase I was listening to the book, I thought, oh, man, it would be great. It would be awesome if they both started with the same letter. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I was spelling it ulterior, like with an A. I'm sorry. If you're an educator in the room, it's not your fault. Like, you didn't teach me. <laughs> ulterior means something intentionally kept concealed. An ulterior motive is usually something manipulative, it's conniving, it's a little deceiving. It's when we say or do something out in the open, but intend on or mean to do something different in our hearts or in private. It's like this, it's like inviting your neighbor over for a backyard barbecue when you know what you really have planned is a book of end time prophecy meeting with your Bible study, <laughs> right? I mean, that's obviously a little over the top. We wouldn't necessarily do that, but that's the idea. Ultimate means the furthest point of a journey. An ultimate goal is the longed for, the hoped for destination. It's kind of the vision we talk about. An example is getting dropped off at your first day of college with the ultimate goal of being a physician. It's a, it's a long way off. Or even better, this is, this is an even longer time, it's, it's playing catch with your dad in the front yard with the ultimate goal of playing in the majors one day. The ulterior motive and good neighboring must never be to share the gospel. But the ultimate motive is just that, to share the story of Jesus and the impact that he has had on your lives. There is a massive difference. The, the agenda for us needs to be dropped, this, this well-meaning tendency to be friends with people for the sole purpose of converting them to our faith. And I get the pushback. I 100% I understand the pushback, especially for those of us who have been living this life, who've been following Jesus for a long time. We desperately want to see people move forward in their faith, and there's nothing wrong with that desire. But that desire can lead us to push people according to our timetable, 
and not according to how God is currently working in their hearts and in their lives. I want to be clear. Again, like none of these motives are bad. They're not bad in and of themselves. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I truly believe, I want you to hear this, I truly believe that entering into an eternity-changing relationship with Jesus is the most important decision you can make in your entire life. I believe that a relationship with Jesus has the power to bring about real change and transformation in your life. And I'm a firm believer that orientating your life around his purposes and his ways is the best way to live. And it's my sincere desire that everyone would come to believe that as well. But that desire in me can never be the ulterior motive in developing a relationship with anyone. Motives matter. And as a follower of Jesus, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we've been converted. We don't love our neighbors to lead them to Jesus. We love our neighbors because we follow Jesus. If you're skeptical and you're thinking, if you're, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're thinking ulterior versus ultimate, okay, that's, that's just semantics. And I totally get that argument as well. It's a really tough balance to kind of live between. They are intrinsically tied together. They're super hard to separate. And for many followers of Jesus, that whole bait and switch idea of what it means to build relationships with people, it's far more ingrained into who we are than we think or even know. But, but that's the area of growth for us as a church. How can we begin to push past what's been ingrained in us and build relationships with our neighbors simply for the sake of relationship? Simply for the sake of knowing them, no ulterior motive. But also when it comes to neighboring, how, how do we best share our faith in Jesus? And then when do we share our faith in Jesus? And most importantly, what kind of posture do we take? Like how do we posture ourselves when we do so, when it comes time to share spiritual matters, spiritual truths with our neighbors that we have a relationship with? Those are all extremely, very complicated questions. Ulterior versus ultimate is a complicated concept. How do we take this complicated stuff and boil it down to the simplest of ideas? Well, I believe the, the answer, the easiest answer is story. See, deep down, we all want to share our story. Uh, we want to feel as if our story matters to somebody else. Uh, we want to believe that our story connects to something larger than ourselves, and our neighbors are no different than we are. And as we begin to learn our neighbor's stories, we begin to truly know them. Uh, we can connect with them on, on a heart level, and we can see how God is at work or maybe not currently working much in their lives. When we are neighboring well, we are pushing past the barriers of time and fear, and we're creating space in our hearts and in our lives, and this will happen in a natural way, and meaningful conversations will just happen. But what does a friendly, ever-deepening, not awkward conversation look like? And I know that may seem like an absolutely ridiculous question to some of you. It may seem insane what I'm about to do for my more extroverted people in the room. But for all of you who are like me, who would prefer to sit in the corner by yourself, who are much more introverted and who constantly feel like you don't know what to say, I thought I'd just kind of give you some handles. 
uh, some things that you can use when, you, when you're stepping into a conversation with somebody that you don't know at all. When you're trying to meet your neighbors and you're trying to get to know them. The first one is this. We talk about things we can see. You see, early on in a relationship, it's easiest to, to get things rolling by chatting about the simple stuff. And I know this seems obvious, but we talk about the weather. We talk about the crazy color of the house down the street, the, the increased traffic on our street. My yard backs up to Maple. That's a very easy conversation for me to have. We talk about all the things that are going on in our neighborhood, simple things like that. We rarely enter into a conversation of any depth with someone we just met. How many times have you walked up to somebody and said, hi, my name is Matt. Tell me about the dad who left you. Right? Like, that's not happening. Number two, a basic personal information. As you, as you begin to get to know each other, start sharing some basic information about each other. How long have you lived here? Like, what'd you do? where'd you grow up? What do you do for a living? Are you married? Do you have kids? Etc. Now, to be clear, for my socially awkward friends in the room, those are separate questions. It's not, how long have you lived here? Where'd you grow up? What do you do for a living? How, are you married? Do you have kids? That gets uncomfortable. There are basic facts that usually when you begin to share with somebody else about yourself, they'll, they'll share those same things with you. Then as you both begin to share, you begin to notice things where you connect and where you have stuff in common. And then the third thing, this is where we begin to see some of that ever-deepening portion of the relationship and the conversation. We share our hopes and dreams. As we get to know people over time, we have a chance to share some deeper things, like our hopes and dreams for the future. Uh, it can be helpful to ask questions to people, things like, uh, what do you love most about what you currently do? If you could do anything with your life, like, what would that be? And really begin to, to dig a little bit deeper, and then this is, this is where it all shifts. When we begin to share our regrets and our losses and our pain, this is where relationship really begins to happen. Whenever a neighbor gets to the point of, Sharing with you things on this level, it proves a level of trust in you and in the relationship that I believe is impossible, will never happen with an ulterior motive. People can smell that out from a mile away. You can smell that out from a mile away. And at this point, we have the opportunity to share with them where we've struggled as well, where we've had pain and loss, and maybe for the first time, we have an opportunity to give a reason for the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. Maybe we get to mention that he has changed everything, that our hopes and our dreams and our pain and our hurt is all intertwined in our relationship with God. You see, when we share our story, it overlaps with our neighbor's story and with God's story, and then our neighbor might start wondering if their story might join in God's story as well. Let me say that again. When we show where our story overlaps with our neighbor's story and with God's story, then our neighbor might begin to wonder. They might begin to ask, how can my story overlap with God's story as well? But the question I know a lot of people are asking Matt, is that really enough? Is loving our neighbor with the right motives and, and looking for ways to share our stories really all that we're called to do as followers of Jesus? I mean, what about the Great Commission, Matt? And for those of you who are new here, you're like, what's the Great Commission? Well, let's take a look at that. The Great Commission takes place uh, just a few chapters after the Great Commandment, which we just read in, in the book of Matthew. 
And to catch you all up, uh, this, this is just a few chapters after the Great Commandment, like I mentioned. And Jesus has just been tried and beaten, crucified, raised from the dead, and he's walked among the people for weeks. Then he's like, all right, y'all, it's time for me to, to jet. Like, I got to go. But don't worry, it's better if I go, it'll be better for you, which was super confusing to all of them. And so he said, hey, meet me at this mountain over there. And so that's kind of where we're at. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now, if you're new here, and you, you might be thinking to yourself, I, I don't know much about the Jesus stuff, but I'm pretty sure there was 12. Well, one of them didn't work out. Uh, so <laughs> the 11 disciples, they went on to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Every time I read that verse, I got to stop. Because I don't know who's in the room, right? I don't know who's here with us today, but 11 men plus all the other people who were at the mountain. They don't talk about them, but there was a lot there that had seen him die, that had seen him after he rose from the grave, that had watched him heal and raise other people from the dead, are standing there on the day that he's about to ascend to heaven, and that verse is there for a reason, that some of them doubted. And so if you have questions... If it doesn't all make sense to you, if you wonder, if you're, if you're concerned, you're not alone, and it doesn't disqualify you. We go on in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to me. This is just Jesus saying, hey, guys, if, in case you didn't pick up on it, you know, with all the healing people and all the raising people from the dead and raising myself from the dead, all authority has been given to me. I am God. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And so to answer the question from earlier, is following the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbors really enough? I would argue it is. I'd say yes, it is. It can be. Because if we live out the great commandment in an environment it is, that is created where the great commission can be effectively obeyed. I said that totally wrong, so I'm going to say it again. If we live out the great commandment, an environment is created where the great commission can be effectively obeyed. That They go hand in hand. It's all about ulterior versus ultimate. We have an ultimate goal of seeing people come to know him. And so we live our lives in that way and we build relationships in that way. And then the great commission can be effectively obeyed if we love those around us. If we choose ultimate over ulterior with the right motives, we become credible messengers who bring the message of love and hope evidenced in both word and deed. We're not just street corner preachers hurling truth like a weapon at cars as they drive by. And in doing so, we fulfill the words of Jesus that that Jimmy mentioned just a few weeks back. That you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're able to do that. Jesus is declaring that we can live in such a way that people around us will look to God because of how we live. When they see us living out this life defined by love, they will actually begin to see the God who is love. They may not even know who God is, but I bet, I bet they begin to get curious. 
I believe that Jesus offers the best kind of life, and if we should obey him and do what he commands, we can experience that life, not because we have to, but because we want to. Not just because we believe it's best for us, but because we know it's best for those around us. We, we don't love our neighbors so they will know Jesus. We love our neighbors because we already love Jesus. We're called to love our neighbors even if our neighbors never show any interest in him. And I know that's hard. To put it more bluntly, we don't love people so they will believe what we believe. Many people. Many people I love. Many people that you love. People that you serve and people that you build relationships with won't ever believe. And that's really hard. But it's also okay. Because we just love our neighbors. And that's it. Okay, but how do we do that, right? Like that's one of the main things, main thrusts of this series. How do we actually do that? That's the beauty of this whole art of neighboring thing. You don't need to memorize any pitches. You don't need to chart out a master plan for how you're going to go reach your entire neighborhood. You don't need to worry about having a good canned speech in your pocket all the time. Really, to simplify, you need to stop trying to make your neighbors a pet project. You just need to make them your friends. And to do that, I think there's four habits that I believe we can implement in our lives that, that I believe will help ensure that we've put ourselves in a position to live out the great commandment, great commission mashup that we talked about and really neighbor well. Some of these four are really kind of recaps from the, the weeks prior and some of them are new. The first one is this. I called it leaving. This habit actually fits really well with last week's main point of keeping room in your heart and your life for those who are far from God. Leaving is about intentionally replacing personal time or all of our Christian activities uh, with opportunities to build relationships with people like your neighbors who you know are far from God and from the church. Uh, we watched a video last week of Jason and Megan Gregory. I actually got to edit that video. And so one of the things that Jason said that I wasn't able to, to fit in, I just didn't have enough time, was one of my favorite things. And he actually said this. He said, we don't get to come to all of the relevant things. He said, Relevant does a bunch of awesome things outside of Sunday mornings to help build into people, to help develop people, uh, to just have fun. And he's like, we don't get to make it to all those things. But we've chosen to not make it to all those things because we want to create room in our lives for people who don't know Jesus. You see, leaving, leaving is about stepping out of the uncomfortable or stepping out of the comfortable into the uncomfortable. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. Actually, in my notes, I just have a line that says personal because this is personal to me. This is, I, I'm terrible at this. I want so badly to be better about pushing aside what I want for the sake of others. And this is the one I have to work on the most. Second thing is listening. This actually goes back to our kind of strange framework for, from earlier. How to have a conversation with somebody. We all know that at times... We ask a question of somebody that we really have no intention of actually listening to. You know, like, hey, honey, how was your day? <laughs> when we truly listen to our neighbors, when we listen to their stories, a couple of things begin to happen. We, we demonstrate sincere interest and we become sincerely interested. See, 
that type of listening, it develops trust. And as I once heard a semi-wise tattooed man in a small t-shirt say, <laughs> help me with this one, as trust goes, there we go. The third one is this, living among, living among. Participate in the activities that are actually going on around you. These are things you don't even have to plan. You just have to show up. This one is actually a call back to, to Jimmy's week where he spoke about we all have such limited time. A time is a barrier for us, and so we don't go do the things that we know we could do to be in people's lives. Trust me, I get this one as well. This is, another, this is number 1A for me. This is one of the most difficult things for me to do. I so often find myself available for something that's going on and choosing not to go. Now, one of the easiest examples for me to think of is I've coached my kids baseball now for a long time, uh, since they were eight years old. And it was pretty often the parents would want to have get-togethers at the end of a season. And I'm telling you, I just had no desire to go. I didn't want to go. I, I don't like meeting new people. And that's, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not true. I like meeting all you. And you watching online. It just, I get uncomfortable when I say things like that in front of people. But what I've had to learn to do is just say, you know what, I would rather sit on the couch and watch TV, but I, I know this is an opportunity for me. And so although it's one of the harder ones for me, it is one of the things that I've learned to do well, to step out of what I would prefer to do in the hopes that I might get to meet some people and get to know them and, and them get to know me. And really for me, like, because of what I do for a living, it gets kind of awkward. People say, hey, what do you do for a living? And the moment I tell them, it gets kind of weird. But my hope is this, that should anything ever come up in their lives where they, they need to talk to somebody that they trust, that I'm on that list. And so that's my hope. And so for you, if a neighbor invites you over for dinner, it's just simple, just go. If you pull into your driveway and you see your neighbor with a fire pit in their, in their driveway and they invite you over, I know you want to go in and watch TV or go to bed, but just go. That's how we begin to build these kind of relationships. And the fourth one is this, loving without strings. I wanted to call this habit serving without strings, but it doesn't start with L. Loving and caring for your neighbor is more than just being willing to have a conversation with them. Or being willing to go over and share one of their beers when they ask you to. Loving and caring and serving your neighbor requires action. And it, it must be done without strings attached. It's, it's snow blowing their side of the sidewalk without the thought that hopefully they do yours next time. It's loving and serving without strings attached. And so as we wrap up kind of this whole thing, let me summarize some complicated thoughts into some simple ideas for you. When you actually get the courage to walk across the street and introduce yourself to the neighbor you've had for 10 years, do you know what your motives should be? Learning their name. When it does snow outside and, and you do decide to push your snowblower one sidewalk more than you had to, you know what your motive should be? Serving your neighbor and loving them in that way. Uh, when your neighbor says, hey, come, come hang out in my driveway and you come over, do you, do you know what your motive should be in that moment? Well, enjoying their company and laughing together. When that neighbor runs over to your house frantic because they need you to watch their dogs because their daughter just got into an accident. 
You know what your motive should be? Providing for them. However you can. Letting them know that you're there for them. And when that same neighbor comes over a few months later to tell you that his marriage is falling apart, he doesn't know what to do with his life. He, he, he doesn't know what next steps to take. Do you, do you know what your motive should be in that moment? Sharing the hope that you have. Sharing the hope that you have in Jesus with him because you actually believe it's the only hope available. And your hope should be that, that he might want to see that as well. See, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we have been converted. There's a lot about faith that can be super complicated. There's plenty about following Jesus that can seem complex and hard to understand. But church, this is a football. And that was going to be the powerful end of my message, but there's something else I want to say. Uh, so as a teaching pastor, I, I, I kind of I let all our guys know who preach on stage, man. We, we do our best to any opportunity we have to give an opportunity for people to put their faith in Jesus. I want you to do it. And I always tell them, too, it's like, hey, if it's not going to work out, don't force it. Don't make it weird. But if, if you have the opportunity, I want you to do it. Well, this series as a whole, like it just... It was just a different kind of series. It didn't really lend itself to that. But we're four weeks in. And what I'm not okay with is going four weeks, plus we don't have gatherings next week, going five weeks without giving people the opportunity and helping them know how to put their faith in Jesus. And so this morning, I just want, I want you to know if you've been around these past few weeks and something's stirring in your mind and you, and you hear this, this phrase, faith in Jesus, over and over again, and you're just quite, not quite sure what it means, let me, let me give you a little bit of a breakdown. See, you were created by the creator of the universe, and you were created for relationship with him. And we all messed it up. Like, like we broke it. And so God in his great mercy, man, he sent himself in the form of his son, Jesus. And Jesus lived this perfect life. And after he was done, he, he allowed himself to be handed over, to be beaten and murdered on a cross as payment for, for the sin that you have, for the sin that I have, like as payment for what we did to break the relationship in the first place. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave, defeating the power of that sin in your life and in mine should we accept it. And that is amazing. And that... That offering is there for you. That free gift of grace, that payment for what you know is broken in your life. Man, it's just right there for you. And so this morning, I'm just going to say a prayer. I'll help give you some words to put around it for you to have the opportunity to ask him for that forgiveness. To ask him to be the leader of your life. To experience that grace on a level that you'll never understand. And in this moment, your eternity, your forever in this moment can be different. It can change. And that life I talked about over and over again about orientating our lives around him and his commands and his purposes. And that's the best way to live. It's not the easiest way to live. It's the best way to live. And you can have that in this moment today. So would you pray with me? God, I know you love me. 
And Jesus, I ask that you would be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. And I choose to follow you from this day forward. God, I pray that you've captured hearts today. That someone in the room, somebody watching online, that, that their forever has changed because you chose to pick them out of a crowd and say, that one's mine. I'll be forever grateful. God, I pray that over the course of this series that we've, we've learned a little bit, if even just a one good takeaway of what it means to truly love people, to just love them for who they are, to have a, an ultimate goal that they might know you but have no ulterior motive in it. So God, this morning, would you help us as a church? Would you allow us the ability to walk out these doors and transform this city by the way that we love, to, that people would look at us and know that something is different about the people who call relevant their church home, that we can bring about change, that we can live more like you and for you in our world. God, we love you.